Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Star Trek podcast that explores intersectional diversity in infinite combinations. My name is Jara, and I'm here for this supplemental episode with special guest Amanda Wong. Hello! Hello! So, Amanda is a background animator. Is that your official title? Officially, my title is background painter. Okay, background Mm -hmm. painter. Um, and has worked on Star Trek Lower Decks, among other things, um, can, and also just an awesome Trekkie artist. Um, and she also previously guested on our episode on art and artists in Trek, um, but wanted to take today to chat a bit more about what is animation? How does this work in uh, cases of like Lower Decks, but also just the other shows that she's worked on and kind of peek behind the scenes and get into that aspect of things? Oh, thanks, Jara, and thanks for having me on your show. I'm so excited, but extremely nervous. (laughs) It's all good. (laughs) Um, So yeah, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about um, some of your background on how you got into animation to start with? Okay, sure. Um, So I work in Vancouver. I've worked in animation for almost 10 years, and I've worked on my previous projects that I've worked on were Carmen Sandiego for Netflix. Uh, Rick and Morty for Adult Swim Season 4, um, the My Little Pony movie, and a bunch of others, but those are the ones that... Were you on DC Superhero Girls? I was on DC Superhero mm-hmm. Girls, but I was on the first iteration, so not the one that was redesigned by Lauren Faust. Okay. Um, and then uh, I actually took a really roundabout way into animation because... I wanted to do animation all throughout high school because my whole life I loved drawing. And then I found out that there was a career that you could draw all the time. However, um, my family is quite traditional. And if you have listeners who are Chinese or Asian American, this might be a very common story. But um, my mother did not approve of animation as a career. Um, I remember that I got into an animation school right out of high school And I sat her down with like a whole presentation about why animation was a viable, stable career. And then she kind of just wandered off in the middle of it. And like, I ended up going to University of Toronto for commerce. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But then, so I ended up finishing a business degree and I worked for a year in my field. And then I was like, you know, I still want to do animation. Um, And then by then I was in my early 20s, which is different than being 18 and living at your parents' house. So... I I funded my second education by myself and then moved to Vancouver and um, finished a two-year animation program there. Um, cool. Yeah. So that's your beginning of your story with animation. Mm-hmm. What is the beginning of your story with Star Trek? Well, I've been a fan of Star Trek since I was seven. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first episode I watched was The Next Generation Season four, The Host? Yep. Oh, great. (laughs) Well, um, I'm not sure which one you mean. The Host is the one where um, Um, there's the trill. Beverly falls in love with Ambassador O'Dan. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think it might be later than season four, but... Season six? Around around there somewhere. All right. It's all good. The Host. (laughs) You got that that episode title. Yes. I would say um, that episode is like kind (laughs) of middle of the pack in terms of receive, but... As a seven-year-old, I was, like, hooked. And mm-hmm. then after that, I watched all of the episodes in real time, like Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. Voyager. Um, I watched most of Enterprise, but was kind of dropping off. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a dream for me to start working on Lower Decks and be able to say that I worked on a Star Trek 
project at all. Mm -hmm. um, when I got onto season two of Lower Decks, I was so annoying to like mm -hmm. everyone I knew. <laughs> and I said to my partner, who is now my husband, because mm -hmm. I got married last month, I said to him, I'm like, hey, guess what Patrick Stewart and I have in common? And he's like, <laughs> You both work on Star Trek. I'm like, we both work on Star Trek. <laughs> I totally understand that reaction. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, I can imagine, like, seeing your name in the credits must have been super cool. Yes, which yeah. I told everyone, and everyone was very happy for me. But yeah. also, everyone has been, like, so nice about it. Mm -hmm. um, like, the official Star Trek accounts on Twitter said, welcome to the family. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, my God. <laughs> Um, so when, uh, when you got the job on Lower Decks, like, did you, were you like, someday I'm going to work on Star Trek or was this just kind of like something you had never expected? It was something I never expected because prior to this new era of Trek, there had never really been, it was never really considered an animated mm -hmm. show. There was an animated series, but yeah. that was, I think, in the 70s. Yeah. And then since then... Every iteration has been live action. So mm -hmm. I couldn't even say this was a dream project because apparently I did not dream uh -huh. wide enough to include mm -hmm. an animated series. Mm -hmm. And then the fact that they made an animated series and that it was being done in Vancouver mm -hmm. and it happened at a time when I was available to apply for it mm -hmm. um, was all incredibly serendipitous. And I'm so happy to be here. That's very cool. So what is the role of a background painter on an animated series? Um, so this will vary between show to show, um, but generally on an animated series, you will have a background designer and then background artists mm -hmm. to execute the design. The designer will determine what the location looks like to begin with. So they will be the ones who decide what the Cerritos bridge looks like or what the corridors look like or mm -hmm. what the planet of their mission looks like. And then they will design the location. However, since this is a 2D show, um, somebody has to draw out all of the individual scenes and the specific camera angles in each of the scenes. For example, if the character was moving around in the space of the bridge, but then that shot was a close-up of Captain Freeman's head, somebody has to draw what the bridge looks like behind her in that close-up shot and then the establishing shot, shot afterwards, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes the person who draws out the shot and the person who colors the shot is the same artist. Um, when I was on Rick and Morty, that was the case. Like, I drew out both the background and I colored it. Uh, on Lower Decks, the job is del delineated between um, the rough artist and the color artist. I am a color artist, so I am responsible for coloring the scene and painting it and also adding the lighting of and shading of what the scene looks like. Um, for example, if it was a nighttime shot, if it was red alert, um, if there is going to be different lighting states, like if there's lightning or something like that. Mm -hmm. Or like Captain Ransom generated lightning. Yes. yes. Uh, sometimes that is effects and compositing, mm -hmm. but... Um, for example, if there's a different state and he is sending lightning scorch marks everywhere, mm -hmm. then that will probably be handled by the background artist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. And so um, before that point, 
like, I assume there's writing, and then people get handed a storyboard to work from? Yes. Mm -hmm. So we are all taking cues from the storyboard artist. Mm -hmm. The storyboard artist is the one who sets what angle each scene is. Mm -hmm. Like, when he decides that uh, Commander Ransom is the camera is going to be close up on him, there will be a rough drawing of, you know, a talking mm-hmm. head. Or if there's going to be an extended acting scene, the storyboard artist will also draw out the the pan between mm-hmm. for the fight scene. And then that will move on to the background rough artist. And then after that, that will move on to me, the painter, to mm-hmm. color it. Cool. And so... Um, in terms of Lower Decks, I know we can't talk about the stuff that hasn't come out yet, so um, I will stay away from that. Um, is there a particular episode that's been your favorite? Absolutely. Um, so I started working on the project in Season 2, and I would say my favorite episodes to work on was Episode 9, which has that complicated Klingon name that oh, yes. Wedge Douche. Yes. I, mean, uh, I hope like your I hope your fans didn't like I I there's no Klingon the for it. Um anyway, that was a very good, well written episode in addition to being fun to work on. Um and it's nominated for a Hugo Award. So very I hope cool. we win, but we're going up against Loki and Arcane, so mm. I don't know. <laughs> ah, that's very cool. Nice. Um, what made it fun to work on? I really liked that the episode took a peek at the lower decks of other races. Yes. And um, I think on that episode, I was assigned to the mostly Klingon scenes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I would have been happy to work on any of the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like when I get to work on scenes of races that I'm familiar with, Mm -hmm. um, because then I could be like, oh, look, it looks just like they, uh, they took some reference from like this particular episode Mm -hmm. of TNG or something like that. Although I'm still happy to work on new stuff. Just, you know, I get excited as a Trek fan Mm -hmm. (laughs) if it's something I know. Yeah. Um, so do you have thoughts about like Lower Deck's place in the Star Trek family? So what I've noticed is is, I think, well, first of all, people pejoratively call this new era as New Trek. Uh-huh. And I've noticed on the internet that New Trek is getting um, a mixed reaction. Some people really like it, some people have no opinion, and some people hate everything new. Yes. However, I notice of the people who hate everything new, they usually add an addendum where they're like, I hate all New Trek Except for Lower Decks. And I'm like, ah, thanks, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Like, thanks, kind of? Kind of. (laughs) Uh, Spared. That's funny, because there's, like, there's certainly those groups of people that are, like, um, you know, there's the people that hate it because they they equate New Trek with, like, woke Trek. And, like, obviously that is just silly. Star Trek has always been woke. Yes. Relatively. Um, It just needs to continue to adapt to the times. And, like, what was woke in 1960 is not woke, or 1969 is not woke today. So, um, but there's also um, some of the comments that I've seen that are... um, are some people that find like Lower Decks a little bit like sacrilegious. Um, and some people are very here for it. I'm very here for this. Um, I think it is hilarious that like, I know um, I definitely remember people, uh, some people kind of uh, pearl clutching on Twitter around the episode that um, Naked oh, Time. 
Yeah, the, well, like the scene with, um, but that's I Exodus, right? Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Um, where I they have to like go do the tests mm-hmm. in the holodeck, and and then there's the yeah naked time thing with uh, <laughs> Boimler. Uh, yeah, and with um, is it Billups riding, um, uh, shacks or something like uh, like a naked horse down the corridor? Or I think it's I... Billups riding shacks or Billups riding ransom or something. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's very funny. It's funny because, like, obviously, Naked Time was an actual canon Star Trek episode that was clearly ridiculous. And, like, I feel like Lordex knows that it is, like, poking loving fun at these things. Yeah, um, I like working on Lower Decks because it does have a comedic tone. But mm-hmm. you can also tell that the people who wrote this show and the peop- uh, Mike McMahon, the showrunner, Deeply loves Star Trek. Yeah. All of Star Trek, including its corniness and silliness mm-hmm. and like all of the deeper lore inside stories, yes. which is why sometimes they'll have a throwaway line like Mariner saying, I'm no, I know we're not supposed to have mm-hmm. interpersonal conflicts, but <laughs> <laughs> I hate Jennifer. Yeah. Oh man. And yeah, all of the Easter eggs are so delightful, um, for, for the longtime Star Trek fans. But also like I watched the show with a friend who had, seen like a lot of next gen and i think voyager but like no other star trek and he still really appreciated it yeah um so i think that it's accessible um yeah it's um i mean it's super funny and i mean personally i've never been i mean well i don't know maybe when i was a younger star trek fan i was more into like the like there is a holy gene roddenberry vision Mm. idea um but i certainly don't believe that anymore and um to me uh, you know, something isn't good culture if it can't survive like a little bit of of poking fun at itself and like questioning the um, you know, some of the intrinsic problems of the that universe and like how does how would this actually really work? Like what what happens after people make first contact? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, and like, I think at the end of the day, um, Lower Decks does encompass the spirit of Star Trek because it is about a crew of people who are trying to do their best and believe in the ideals of the Federation and are mostly professional. Mm -hmm. And also, I think Lower Decks really embraces the fact that uh, Star Trek can be a workplace show. And it is very much about Mm -hmm. being at work and like having to do the boring day-to-day mm-hmm. spectral analysis yes. and stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you gotta clean the holodeck. <laughs> you have to uh, you know, wrangle badgy once in a while. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh I love that about it. It's uh very um bringing in yeah other aspects of of types of shows that we know and love um but there is still like a heart to mm-hmm. it and an optimism to it and I think like that you know, uh, the idea that not the people at the top of the chain don't always have the best ideas mm-hmm. is, um, this is an idea that is not unique to New Trek, but it's something that I think we've seen more of a push towards, like, more of a democratization of, of like, the crew structures and, like, making sure that everyone has input um, than maybe we used to see in, I would say, like, TNG was a bit more hierarchical. Mm-hmm. Um Although, of course, we had bad morals. Um, so, you know, we can't also think that, like, old Trek always said the authority figures were right, because that clearly <laughs> is not true. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, I really like that aspect of 
that everyone has something to learn from each other, regardless of where you're at in the food chain. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so in terms of other Star Trek, um, do you have like a favorite episode of all time? Um, usually when people ask me what my favorite Star Trek is, uh, series is, I find that kind of complicated because usually the answer I give was, I think Deep Space Nine is the most consistent in quality, Mm -hmm. but I think all the high points, the best high points for me were from TNG. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry to give such a cliched answer, but my favorite Star Trek episode is the inner light. Okay. I just mm-hmm. love it so much, even though it's more of a showcase of Patrick Stewart's mm-hmm. acting abilities and like this quiet story that mm-hmm. I think is not that accessible to other star, uh, people who are not familiar with Star Trek. Like mm-hmm. they've never watched any ser- any mm-hmm. series at all. I would not show them the inner light as like their first mm-hmm. episode because yeah. most of the action takes place off the ship. Mm. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, what episode would you show someone? It doesn't have to be TNG, but... Hmm, good question. Um, I think I would show them something that was, like, basic meat and potatoes for TNG. Yeah. um, Before you can get into, like, the really good stuff, like, Best of Both Worlds. Mm -hmm. Although I think you can, like, Mm -hmm. enter a newbie with Best of Both Worlds. But I think episodes like The Enemy and The Mm -hmm. Defector are quite good. Yeah. Yeah. My go-to is The Measure of a Man. Oh, yeah. It's got, like, a classic moral argument. It's got Guinan. It's got (laughs) Philippe Louvois. Yeah. Um, It's it's all on the ship. You get to, like, all... Many of the characters are featured. Not all of them, but... Yeah. um, Yeah. It's... uh, That is definitely... um, I, I always like to figure out like where people would start people with and mm-hmm. also actually this is kind of um funny so um figuring out like where you introduce a new person to like which series you would tell them to start with mm-hmm. and i actually think that like for the friend that i watched with that like lower decks actually might make him more inclined to go back and watch other series because of their references uh-huh. um but um, do you see, like, a, a particular, like, kinship between Lower Decks and any of the other series that have come before or since? Um, well, Mike McMahon has gone on record that sa- uh, saying that most of the DNA of Lower Decks comes specifically from the next generation mm-hmm. in terms of look and feel. Yeah. So I would say l- the next generation is probably the most similar mm-hmm. to Lower Decks in terms of, like, both story structure and aesthetics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then, it, I mean, it's kind of like, in terms of the, uh, it being just like the black sheep of the family, <laughs> it's a bit like Deep Space Nine, but, um, I don't know that, I mean, well, you also have, um, so I think like the relationship, um, between, like, Ben Sisko and Jake Sisko was obviously a really important part of Deep Space Nine and something that Avery Brooks thought was super important mm-hmm. to, like, demonstrate a positive um, vision of Black fatherhood. Um, and I think that the relationship between Mariner and Captain Freeman is, like, a very important aspect of Lower Decks. Oh, um, yeah. Probably a little bit um, harder to unpack. <laughs> um, and very interested to see where that goes. But I certainly think that that is um, one of the most interesting pieces. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of... Oh, okay. Well, actually. So have you watched um, either Prodigy or the animated series at all? 
I am so sorry to say that I haven't, but I am very interested in watching Prodigy um, oh. from what the thing, some of the things that I heard and read mm-hmm. on the internet. And I know that some people who work on Prodigy follow me on Twitter, so I'm very, very sorry. But I've been very busy working, we're, we're working to get on married Lower Decks. And, get, <laughs> and finish a season of Lower Decks. That's totally allowed. Um, and... Um, do you like um I would imagine that the process is quite different for a show like Prodigy but I don't actually know um given that it's more like three-dimensional or is it or just that it's more I don't even know I I am I know nothing about animation but like the look to me is very different but does that mean the process is different or is it just like fundamentally the same process I would say both have their um tricky bits to work with. I think 3D is a little bit more complicated, but it's been my experience that the project timeline is comparable. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say any animated project compared to live action is just much, much slower to work on. Mm -hmm. Um, It is surprisingly slow. So sometimes the things that you think are recent or they're like, oh, they're doing a callback to this thing that happened. I'm like, no, because they wrote it like two or three Mm. years before you watched it. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) yeah, no, that's actually a really good point. And um, so why do you think that is Um, like for, for someone who doesn't know anything about animation, like why is it that animation takes longer? Animation takes longer just because um, it is incredibly labor intensive. Um, You have to break down um, the script into the storyboard stage. And then from there, you have to design all of the assets, including, like, what does this thing that um, that the characters are holding in this episode look like? And, like, what do the incidental characters look like? And then for this particular uh, show, it is, two, it is a 2D show, but it is done with software. So mm-hmm. for our particular show, what we do is we do something um, called a build, which is where we turn the design of a character into a movable puppet. Okay, cool. Uh, with movable limbs. Mm-hmm. And then we give this puppet to the animators to move mm-hmm. around in the space for every scene. Yeah. And then we have to draw out every scene um, mm-hmm. and create all the different camera shots by hand, um, which is not something that you would have to do for a live-action show, which is not to denigrate live-action projects, Mm -hmm. because they are also incredibly labor-intensive. But, for example, you build a set, or, you know, for example, the green screen, and then you don't have to worry about drawing each individual camera Mm -hmm. shot, because you just rearrange the camera for your close-up. Or I would imagine, like, the director could just decide on the fly, like, actually, can we try it with you standing over there? Yeah. Or how about you ad-lib a line right there? And, like, that obviously doesn't work if... It's like, a terrible Jerry strain. O'Connell was like, I'm just going to ad-lib right now. <laughs> it's a terrible strain on the animator's wrist. <laughs> um, yeah, um, this is really interesting. It will definitely make me watch it closer because I, I feel like, um, yeah, I've never really even thought about, um, you know, I take a lot of it for granted when I watch it and don't think about necessarily, like, this was a different shot and therefore had to be drawn completely separately. Yes. Um I will say um, it is actually standard um, for all shows to have retakes. So mm-hmm. 
if the writer or an actor thinks of a better line to say later、mm. and then they want to improv, it is built into the production that you give some time to reanimate the character slightly to say a different line、yeah. if it will improve the show.、Mm-hmm. Um, so there can be some improv, but generally, like if the actors are going to improv, you want to catch that all in the voice recording, which happens before you actually start animating. Yeah. And so、um, I would imagine that on these shows you're working as part of like a, a team of some size.、Um, I you can talking generally about like approximately how many people would be in a studio for a show like Carmen Sandiego or or for、uh, Lower Decks or for one some of the other shows you've worked on. I find that productions、uh, the te- the background team will vary greatly in terms of the budget, the number of episodes,、um, the length of the project time. Um, for lower decks specifically,、um, I was very pleased to find, and then you can count the number of people who work on the backgrounds on the credits.、Um, that is a pretty big、um, background team. It is divided between、um, both the layout artists, as I mentioned earlier, who draw out the draw out the lines of what the scene looks like, and then the background painters. And then I would say each team has between.、Hmm, Seven to eleven people, so I would say like, you know, at least twenty people are working in backgrounds. So that's a pretty good project because when I was on Rick and Morty and we did both the line art and the color, I think we had a team of seven、mm-hmm. background artists in total versus the twenty on、mm-hmm. um, Lower Decks. So I quite like this、yeah. um, team size. That's cool. So I would imagine that you have to. Make sure that you know you're adhering to certain types of standards and like you know keeping obviously not just dramatically changing the colors because you feel like today it would look better green、yes. or something.、Um, so do you feel like that、um, is a like a fun challenge or do you wish sometimes that you could just go crazy? Um, it actually has occurred to me personally that maybe in the future I would like to try for designing, and then when I am designing, then I would be the one determining what the color of the location looks like.、Mm-hmm. Currently, as you mentioned,、um, we are working from the design, so somebody else,、um, and on, on our project, which is very common for、um, Canadian projects, all of the design work, most of the design work is done. By the side of Titmouse, which is my company on LA, so all the designers are in LA, and they are the ones that set the look for、mm-hmm. the ship and you know the Klingon ships and like any marketplaces. And we follow the design, and for an animated show to work, it has to look like the same artist did every scene.、Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be tricky, trying to keep things on model and trying to make it so that.、Um, You are not drawing things differently than your colleague, which is why generally for animation in backgrounds, my supervisor will try to make sure that the same person is assigned to most of a location, so、mm-hmm. that not too many people、um, are all working on the same marketplace or what have you. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense.、Mm-hmm. Um, so,、um, yeah, with like with the episode you were talking about before, that would make sense that like you were mostly on the Klingon ones,、mm-hmm. and then some other people were handling the Vulcan ship,、mm-hmm. and yeah, that's cool.、Um, and I, I feel like that is not dissimilar to live action shows too.、Mm-hmm. Like、um, I went to an event 
that was um, put on by Directors Guild of Ontario a couple years ago about Discovery. And um, it was with the um, art director and uh, production designer and the, and then like a bunch of people who were on the team. And um, that, you know, it was very much like, these are the people that set the aesthetics for, mm-hmm. for the show. And like, well, this is how we determined all the corridors were going to look and how, you know, we, this was the original stage. And then this is why we made this adjustment. It's for practical reasons. Um, but it's not like, you know, if you come on to direct an episode, like one episode at the end of the first season of Discovery, it's not like you were going to have a dramatic amount of say in like the overall look and feel of the show. It would just be like, the your dialogue with that particular episode and the characters in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, but yeah, that's neat that like there are other potential roles. If, if you were like, I really need to make an, um, a sci-fi show where this spaceship was, I don't know, purple and glittery. <laughs> um, Yeah. Yeah, um, and then like I said, most of our designers are on the LA side. Our art mm-hmm. director's name is Nolan, and he's great. And I actually really like, like, I personally like the style of the show quite a lot. And um, I think my favorite things to work on would be the stuff on the Cerritos. I actually find it very soothing to paint the corridors. Mm-hmm. And they're so relaxing. It's like if Bob Ross did Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's so is it I well now I you know now I, it is not right in front of me. So I'm like is it is it roughly the like TNG corridor co- colors that are kind of beigey or more, yes. a little bit more silvery? Um, I would say the carpet is like a little bit more blue, but mm-hmm. like they are taking the aesthetic of TNG a lot, which I also find kind mm-hmm. of soothing. I remember when people made fun of it for yep. looking really 80s, but mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? The weird thing about aesthetics is if you tie it to an era. Yeah. It will age, eventually it will age and become yes. very charming. Yes. Um, or, or just not. But I think, uh, TNG definitely did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, because for me personally, I noticed that when shows try to make, um, their art direction more realistic, which mm-hmm. usually means like octagonal hallways, yeah. me- metallic octagonal hallways, uh-huh. it just ends up looking very generic. Mm-hmm. And then I find then, it doesn't age as well because technology and like camera work moves forward. Yeah. So when I look back on like some older shows like Andromeda or even Battlestar Galactica, mm-hmm. which I know is very popular, mm-hmm. I don't think it looks as charming as like TNG or yeah. Babylon 5. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the TNG bridge looks comfy. Yes. I want to sit in that chair, not just because it's the captain's chair, but also that looks like a comfy chair and a lovely carpet. It's iconic. People are like, oh, the TNG bridge and the TNG uniforms, even though they are space pajamas. They're just just more striking and iconic than, you know, submarine-inspired jumpsuits. Not throwing any shade at any specific series. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So are there... um, any other like just cool experiences that have have come your way as a result of being now working in the Star Trek universe? Um, I would say for me personally, I always find that I tend to get on a popular project just as the peak of the culture has moved on. So mm-hmm. I got onto Rick and Morty in season four mm-hmm. after the peak of like season three and Pickle Rick and yep. the Szechuan 
sauce. Mm -hmm. And then I got onto My Little Pony. Both of these projects I really enjoyed, by the way. But I got onto My Little Pony, the movie, after the peak of, um, I guess, brony culture. Mm -hmm. But I feel like Star Trek is in another peak right now with all of mm -hmm. these new series starting. And the fan reception online, because I am active on Twitter, has been incredibly welcoming and lovely. And I, I feel like I've made so many friendships and mm -hmm. like reached out to people that I wouldn't necessarily have connected with if I did not get this opportunity to work on this show. Mm -hmm. So I'm very, very happy for that. Cool. Um, so like going back and watching the, the first, uh, I guess, well, season two that you worked on, but also season one, like, do you have a favorite moment as like a, or a favorite moment or a favorite episode just to watch? Um, well, the episode that I mentioned that was fun to work on, episode nine, yeah. is one of my favorites. But another one of my favorites as just a Star Trek viewer and fan is a season finale mm -hmm. of season two, which mm -hmm. I think has gone beyond um, Lower Deck's premise as a Star Trek affectionate parody. And it's just a straight up Star Trek episode where they're mm -hmm. like, here is this scientific puzzle. Yep. And here is the solution that we came mm -hmm. from. And we have to do it under a clock because we need to rescue somebody. Yeah. And it is fully Star Trek to the core. And I love it as a story. And as a concluding arc of the Cerritos in general, where they were like the underpowered ship that mm -hmm. like comes later, they get to be the ones that rescue someone else instead of being rescued in season one. Nice. Uh, Reiki likey. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's great. It was such a good episode. I think uh, that I hope, uh, I mean, I don't know who's listening to this that hasn't watched Lower Decks, but if, if you're there, go, go watch it. Um, <laughs> yes, keep me, keep me employed, please. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I just think it's such a great addition to the universe. And I feel like we're so lucky to be in a place, you know, having lived through the drought post enterprise yeah. where, um, it's not just like, is there, I know I still, I have some, you know, people like my mom occasionally will be like, oh, there's new Star Trek. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, there's like four series. <laughs> um, and, uh, I feel like we are, we're very fortunate to have like the range of shows that's out there and Lower Decks is, is a key part of that. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Jara. Do you have any other final thoughts you'd like to share on? No, anything? I don't. Only that it's been lovely to record this interview with you and i'm so happy to get to do it in person yeah thanks for joining me uh, this is very very lovely um yeah so um so uh, thanks again for joining us and where can people find you on the internet um you can find me on both twitter and instagram my handle is the same it's amanda wt wong w-o-n-g Cool. And uh, I'm Jara, and you can find me at J-A-R-R-H Penguin on the socials. And you can also find Women at Warp at Women at Warp everywhere. Um, and if you would like to get in touch with us, you can email crew at womenatwarp.com or go to our website at womenatwarp.com. Thanks so much for listening. Mm -hmm.